What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. All right, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Leadership Blend with your host, Ricardi Rice, and my correspondent, Simone Shree. And Kyle Andrew. All right. So today is the fun I call the Ramble Show. When I say ramble, it means that we're actually going to talk about or get into each one of us a discussion or maybe something that we get into briefly of current events today that we really want to really talk about and have a dialogue about, uh, whereas we probably previously didn't get the chance to really get into it. So we get to have that fun. So it's a topic we choose. We get to kind of do it. Um, so it's going to be fun. You are welcome to chime in on the Facebook Live to uh, ask questions or you know, throw something up that you would like for us to talk about. It's a very interactive type show today. So, you know, all bets are off. So it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. But we're going to get into some current events first. And then we'll, and Kyle is actually going to be the man with the plan today. So after we do a little bit yeah. of, of current event stuff, he's to be the man with the plan. So, uh, Simone, what you got on the rundown? So we're going to talk uh, a little bit about what happened over the weekend. Um, Daniel Prude, which may be a name that you don't know, uh, is a black man who was killed by police back in March, but it's just kind of now making national headlines um, because the, the family requested that the video be released. So we'll talk about that. That's going on in New York. That has a lot to do with like mental health and illnesses, and it kind of ties up the whole deep on the police conversation, and it'll give us a lot to kind of to, to chew on there. Um, and then also there was a, a deadly shooting in Portland last week, uh, in Portland, Oregon, and there have been some updates in Portland. Portland's the only city that can say that they've gone strong every single day with protests since the George Floyd shooting. So I want to make sure everybody's kind of aware of what's going on there and understands uh, the political dynamics at play from who these protesters are. And we'll talk a little bit about what that looks like. Um, also, another big, uh, another big thing I wanted to bring to the table was Trump, uh, President Trump, talking about voting twice and this, you know, essentially encouraging voters to commit what is ultimately a felony at the federal level. Um, so we'll talk about that, the statement that he made and, and its significance and how other folks are responding to it. And before we finish it, I definitely hope we can get into some, some good news. If you remember the big ice bucket challenge back in 2014, it may have actually mm-hmm. reaped some rewards. Uh-huh which is really exciting. And it may have actually made a difference, which is always really exciting. So I'd love to kind of kind of share that and give people some some happy news and feel good news. Yeah. All right, well, let's start with the lovely ungood news first. So wherever you want to start, <laughs> I, I'm following the lead today. Okay, well, Daniel, Daniel Prude, um, so this happened in New York. Uh, this was back in March, um, where a call came in to Rochester police that there was a naked man running outside. Um, that he may have been under the influence of something like PCP and that he, uh, he was a danger to himself. Um, so this gentleman's name was Daniel Prude. We've, we've come to learn he was 41 years old. The police came and they cuffed him and covered his head with what they called like a spit hood because I guess he, he was spitting at police. He was, he was belligerent. Um, he tried to get up and, and to resist and officers held him down. Um, at one point his face was down on the ground for, for two minutes inside of the spit hood. Um, after they held him down, he had to be resuscitated. So he did lose consciousness, but he did uh, make it to the hospital. Uh, but he did die seven days later. And, um, the big part of the story I think that has come out recently is because obviously the family just had the, the raw video footage released and you can look that up if, if you like to. That's always kind of something you have to check in with yourself about whether or not you want to see the videos. But um, I think it gets into this larger conversation about defunding the police because this was a call that his brother made because he knew that his, his brother was having a, an, some sort of an episode, uh, maybe a reaction to drugs that brought on a state of psychosis. Um, maybe he, he had, he, he was dealing with other underlying mental illnesses or diagnosed mental illnesses, but essentially he, he's made a statement that he completely regrets having made that phone call, um, that he thought his brother was going to get help. He did not know that something, you know, violent or, you know, let alone deadly was going to happen. And the officers have not been charged yet, but there's seven officers who are involved total and they've been suspended. Um, the local police union says that they're also going to look into it and New Yorkers held a vigil, vigil, excuse me, for him last night. So... I think the reason why I wanted to bring this up as part of this larger conversation is because a lot of there's a lot of ads going out right now, some of which are endorsed by President Trump, who's running for re-election, talking about how dangerous it is to defund the police. And if you haven't seen the advertisement, essentially it's a 
a woman calling saying she needs help. I need help. Please come. She's called 911 and she's receiving this uh, automated recording, which says, uh, I'm sorry, due to, you know, defunding or lack of, uh, lack of funds, we will be with you in about seven business days or something like that. Something really scary and petrifying that, you know, leads us to believe that if the police are defunded, we will essentially be a policeless, lawless, uh, purge-esque country. And, uh, the reason I want to bring this up is because groups like uh, the ACLU, uh, groups like Human Rights Watch have all kind of talked about, and the NAACP, have talked about what it may mean to defund the police. And every city, you know, gets to manage their police as they'd like to within federal law. But essentially, calls like this that um, relate to an individual who is clearly having a mental health episode um, or related to an individual who may be, uh, may be homeless or in transitioning, maybe loitering, doing something that could uh, either lead you to believe that they did not um, have complete uh, awareness of their faculties at the moment or doing something that doesn't require, um, that isn't a public safety risk. Yeah, defunding kind of speaks to the idea that maybe we don't need police to respond to these sorts of calls. Maybe we don't need police to come and, and assist someone who's having an episode, um, someone who's a danger to himself. Maybe there's a different sort of first response for that. Maybe it's EMT, maybe it's something else. But um, the idea is that maybe we don't need to use police for these sorts of functions. and. Uh, this has happened. Uh, this has happened in other situations as well. Uh, if there, there's a very viral video of a man who was having a, a mental episode and who was um, arrested by police, um, he was detained and he was given to um, an emergency medical technician team um, after he was found like walking along the side of the highway without a shirt and had no idea where he was or what he was doing. Uh, but he was abandoned by that officer. Um, he would not tell, uh, this was in Orangeburg County, he wouldn't tell the EMTs what his name was. He wasn't responding, he was almost lethargic. And the EMTs were very uh, impatient with him and basically said, okay, well, I guess you're going uh, in the back of the police van because you're either gonna talk to us or you're going back with the cops. So he got in the back of the police car and the police officer stopped at a gas station and opened the door for him to walk out. The man walked right back onto the highway and was then hit by a, a truck and died. Um, and th th there's the middle of a suit right now because of that exact situation. His name was Paul Tarashuk. And you can see in the video, he's visibly lights on, no one home. Um, so it's, it's a dangerous situation, again, when someone's a danger to themselves or they're having an episode and they're put in a situation where they're confronted by law enforcement and they see guns or they feel restrained and they don't react the way that we would like them to react. So uh, thoughts? I mean, I... I at some point, like, given, because we've seen that kind of scene play out, uh, I think it was here in Atlanta, it was a guy in the project, and he was running around uh, with no shirt on and stuff, and the police got involved, and it didn't end fatally, I believe, but it was not handled well. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, at this point, given with what we're dealing with, I just, my first instinct, if it's not something that is violent or something that really requires police, I'm not calling them. Um, especially in this kind of situation where we know, because we're consistently seeing it, that this is not a type of situation that police really are necessary for. I don't know. I'd rather would have called the EMT or something. I don't know. I just would not have called the police, you know, given the fact that knowing he's a little skitsy and, and having an episode or whatever the case may be, it's just not a good situation to put the police in, especially given all that's going on. I, I, I'm, I don't want, I'm not sure to blame anybody. But mm -hmm. I just feel like in that moment, his brother should have made a better decision. I, and I hate to say that because it probably was a lot going on. But just given all that you know was going on with police and just people and them just not understanding. Are you, and you never know. There may be some police that would have handled it differently. Whatever, I'm, I'm just not willing to take the risk with a loved one if I know that they're having a mental breakdown or something of that capacity. I just would I, I, I don't. I don't know. I feel like this mm -hmm. one was kind of a we need to make a better decision in this kind of situation type deal doesn't excuse the behavior of course but now you get your brothers added on a long a everlasting longer list of people having fatalities with interaction with the police but, Which is like, unfortunate, I mean, like, but when, so when, when something like that is wrong we're conditioned to call 911 you know so i mean like that specifically is calling the police so like how do we call specifically the EMT in certain situations where we don't want the police to come out. Because if I'm, if I'm in a situation and I don't necessarily, I'm not being bothered, I'm not being harmed, uh, I don't feel like my life is threatened by another person, I don't necessarily want to call the police, but I want to call somebody who can possibly get this person the help that they need, you know, probably get them on some kind of medication, kind of detain them until whatever they're on is, is worn off, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so like, 
whenever somebody whenever somebody's in a situation where they just feel unsafe or they want to help somebody else, they immediately call nine one one and then the police yeah. come. I think that's so, the fear too. It's that condition response. Like that's what we're taught to do. And we figure once we call them, they'll figure out, you know, who really needs to be there, who needs to stay. But we can just continuously that's not the case. And it's it's, it's sad because there's gonna come that that story that we hear about where someone um needed police but they were afraid to call the police because of what we've been seeing and so they don't call the police and then maybe they face criminal liability because they didn't intervene um i think in minnesota and i'm sure in several other places it is a criminal offense not to act if someone is in immediate uh or imminent danger it's actually something you could get in trouble for so I, I don't know. I know that my brother mentioned uh, in his apartment, an apartment he was living in once, that there was a guy who always seemed fine, and then one day really did not. And he he began almost, um, he moved everything out of his neighboring apartment in the same hallway, like his couch, his bed, his mattress, like threw everything in the hallway, was emptying his fridge, was not speaking in clear sentences, would not put on clothes. And um, when he noticed this and his other neighbor noticed this, they were like, even for them as like lay people, not medical trained people, they were like, this is clearly a psych psychological thing. This is not a, they, they didn't feel in danger, but they were worried for him, obviously. And he, he was very incoherent and very agitated as he saw people in the hallway. So I think ultimately the, the neighbor, not my brother, spent enough time talking to him that he found a sister's phone number in his cell phone and just called her and she came and actually drove him to a hospital. Um, so I think that was well, a situation where- my question. Mm -hmm. That would be the question of like, I, you know, when we see these videos, we get snapshots. We don't get any history. We don't get any, mm -hmm. none of that. So I guess my question would be, is this something that he's dealt with before? Um, is there a history? Is there somebody mm -hmm. in the family that could have called that used to dealing with him? Mm -hmm. I, I just don't think I would have immediately called the police. And if I did, I would have thought about what I was, I, you know, I like to think of my people. Yeah. So I would have thought about what I was going to say. It would have been something like, well, you know, my brother's unconscious versus you know he's running around blah 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 in, in a such a man i would have explained in such a manner that they'd be like oh my god we're going to send the emt versus we're going to send the police i, I just would have thought about something like that because i my fear of my family member something happening to them but i i think like that so i i yeah. would have when you call when you call that. when you call that one when you call nine one one, can you ask for the emt instead of the police to come out can you do that i think you I can ask but i don't know if you have the discretion to determine that i'm i'm, I'm sure you can yeah. ask um I Again, like they're all emergency the response. They're all emergency response. Some are considered yeah. first responders, like when we talk about EMTs, that's, you know, or firefighters, but they're all technically emergency responders. So I think, um, but, but I'm sure you can specify that. And I, I've definitely heard 911 operators ask, like, okay, well, do you need this or do you need that? And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a situation that's just unfortunate. And I think, I think, like you said, we're at a point where we're definitely all going to at least second guess whether or not we make that phone call. And you just hope that you haven't second guessed the wrong way. And, um, but it's a lot to have in your conscience, I think, regardless. Um, yeah, that's a lot to have I in your think conscience. It's, it's, I'm to a point where I'm going to really do what I normally would do. So like when I go places, I get to know people. So I'm almost to a place where I'm like, you know what, you might need to get to know the police in your area. So that if something ever happens, that, oh, that's Ricardo, you know, we know, I, I know him, blah, blah, blah. And there'll be a little more consciousness when they come to deal with a situation, heaven forbid I have one, that I can't handle. Um, that kind of ideology. I think that's where we're kind of headed, that we, we might need to really get to know the police officers and, and so on and so forth in our areas, just as kind of some, a little assurance that, hey, at least it definitely they know makes a huge am, difference. So you know, um, they don't come out guns to blaze. On, in a good manner, like, oh, you know, you know, Ricardo, blah, 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 you know, but it must be something serious for him to call, something like that. I feel like that's, that's kind of where we're kind of headed at this point, because like you said, I don't want to be a situation where every, all of us are scared to call the police if we really need them and we do something we ain't got no business doing, mm -hmm. you know? So, I, I, mm -hmm. yeah, I, just, I, I think I actually saw this video and I turned because I was like, oh, God, here's another one. I can't do it. I don't think that, because yeah. I remember seeing a bag over his head. I remember him saying something. I was like, oh, no, 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 I can't do this. Not today. I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm just, like, you got to check with yourself uh, before you watch, see those videos for sure, for sure. Um, I'm okay, just like, so, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Hold on, there. Oh, okay, so I wanted to move to the Portland story really quick. We, we, I think, briefly talked about Portland and the protests that were going on. Um, that was my place of birth. I just want to say for, for everyone's edification, because I think Portland's been getting a lot of flack, especially from uh, center-right and right-wing individuals. 
that Portland is just a protest place. Oregon is very much just a place of civil disobedience. It's a place of, of civil rights and human rights. And when I was growing up, protesting was like a weekend activity. And it, it wasn't always in the streets marching, but it was like, it was always going on. If we went to go get coffee somewhere or go to a restaurant, there was a petition to sign. Like it's a very socially conscious place. Like it's just, that's just how the atmosphere of the environment is. When I went to school, if I was sitting in the cafeteria, it was not abnormal that we were trying to get the, the cafeteria ladies pay increased or something like that just was not abnormal. So this is the, again, the 98th day or 90, 98th day that Portland has had a protest since the George Floyd shooting earlier this year. Um, most recently though, uh, an article came out in the uh, Los Angeles Times, which I really recommend you read. It's called The Gentrification of Black Lives Matter. And it's essentially talking about this co-opting of a movement that was supposed to be about uh, police brutality and especially uh, black and brown people and our community relations with police to something much, much different. And in this particular protest, um, or in this incident that involves a man named Michael Reinald, uh, a, a white white gentleman, 48 years old. He was an Antifa supporter, very well-known Antifa supporter, um, who was shot when officers tried to apprehend him. He was actually a suspect in the shooting of a far-right protester um, last weekend. So they tried to apprehend him, and I guess he he was running on foot, according to police, and they shot him. Four officers opened fire. Um, so this this rally the shooting happened in in uh, Washington. This rally happened in Portland. Um, there's a few far right groups that have been coming out in support of Back the Blue and in support of President Trump's reelection. And they've been coming out to these BLM protests. Um, and well, I shouldn't say BLM protests. They've been coming out to these protests. Um, and so there's been Antifa supporters and then there's been these pro-Trump caravans um, with either President Trump's name on them or with like uh, with like a different source of name, the Proud Boys, uh, Patriots, uh, the Patriot Party. There's a few different far right groups that have that have come out as well. There was a shooting last week of a far right activist. He wasn't killed, but he was shot. And the suspect was this gentleman, Michael uh, Reinald, who police tried to apprehend. Had, U.S. Marshals actually um, came in, and it was an encounter, and he was killed. So um, they weren't able to confirm that he was armed at the time. Um, they are saying the lieutenant is saying he was just evasive. He was just running. So this is a this is, I think, a situation as far as, or I should say as well, he admitted to the shooting. Um, he interviewed with Vice News and he went on social media and admitted that he did shoot the far right uh, protester. But independent of the story, I am very interested in kind of what these marches and protests have become and what they look like now and why they look like that. And like the people that are out there for all these different reasons. I mean, everyone is not out there because of what happened to George Floyd. Everyone is not there because of uh, Breonna Taylor or Ahmaud Arbery or or really any racial injustice or really even police uh, issues with police in general. There are a lot of different agendas being pushed at a lot of these protests. And they're not all Antifa or far left protests because the mayor of Portland, um, there's a riot and a, a bonfire basically outside of his apartment building um, this week. And he's agreed to move and leave his apartment building, his condo, because he doesn't want to endanger other people there. He's on the 16th floor and there was basically a bonfire going on outside of his building and threats that he's receiving from far right protesters, pro-Trump protesters. So it's not just far left, not that that, you know, makes a significant difference, but are the black people in your lives still out there protesting and marching or has this become a, a angry political majority white American phenomenon i mean what do you where do i feel like that's what i'm mostly seeing i um i definitely knew some people that were out there in the atlanta protest um i actually there was one on edgewood and i don't know if you guys remember remember the guy who was in the white guy who was in the pickup truck and on edgewood and he just kind of let fire out on whoever mm -hmm. um i have a friend who actually was hit by the bullet one of the bullets and now he's paralyzed so um for me, I haven't personally protested um, since George Floyd. I did protest like in 2016. Um, I forgot his name, Philando Castle. I protested for that. Um, but I feel as though the protest this time around became a distraction. Um, a lot of people get really good pictures out there for Instagram, but they're not doing anything other than marching and making noise and, and vandalizing. Uh, their communities. Mm -hmm. So I feel as though it's very cliche, but it's the truth. I think that the action that we should take is to go out and vote, um, donate to Black Lives Matter or any other um, activist uh, nonprofit organization. I feel like that's what should be what we, what we should be doing. 
I, I agree with him. Like, I had friends that went to Washington, and I all they did was do photo ops and march. And I'm not saying that their uh, actions were disingenuous. What I'm saying is, okay, well, when you came back to Atlanta, what did you do? Like, that should have – because I know the, the, the thing is they want to be able to show pictures of people years from now. Oh, my God, you know, I was in Washington when they were uh, honoring that particular movement. I was in Washington with my black fist up saying Black Lives Matter. That's cute. But when you came back, did you vote? Did you get involved in your local politics? Did you try to really raise awareness of what you saw when you were in Washington? What did you do when you get back? What was the takeaway? Because I think this, I find myself saying this a lot lately. What is the takeaway? You know, we do a lot of these things, but again, what is the takeaway? You know, in, in the older days when I think of protests and stuff, they were really in it because their very lives depended on it, and it was that vital to their day-to-day -day survival that if we don't get these things changed, this, you know, we're, as a people, we're just never going to rise. I feel like now we go for all these instinctively different reasons, and I'm not saying that they didn't do it back in the old days. They just seem more unified mentally that as a, as a community, we've got to show this strength and not only show this strength, but when we leave here, we have an individual duty to continue the good fight in our local community. Our collective is for federal. Our individual is for local. And I feel like we're not doing it. I feel like everybody's there for different reasons. It's cute that we see the pictures and the blackface and the, and the protests and stuff. But again, what is the takeaway when you get back to your local community? You know, are you getting involved in something? Are you starting something? You know, and I think that's another thing. There are so many outlets that we can use that we underutilize when it comes to important stuff. We'll do 50,000 TikTok videos because we're bored. How many TikTok videos have you done for something that will pertain to Black Lives Matter or something that will bring awareness to some issue that's in your local community? Like a YouTube channel, you know, have you done a video for your audience with something that's near and dear to you as it pertains to the movement? Like, I just, I don't, I don't, I feel like there's a disconnect or there's this mutual, uh, that things just don't go together. Like my marching is all I need to do. My showing up is all I need to do. That's the beginning. You showing up start, should start something in you. The fact that I'm in Washington marching with people that look like me and people who don't with a collective mindset, supposedly, with one goal should ignite something in me that when I get back, I want to be the change agent for my community. Things that I've seen, things that I haven't spoken out about, now I feel empowered to speak out about them because I believe, because I've seen it, that there are others who probably believe like I do and are just waiting for somebody to follow because they may not necessarily be a leader. It's got to be something like that. And, and I'm not seeing it. I'm seeing people just doing photo ops for social media and stuff. And y'all cute, boo, y'all cute. But when you get back, what are you doing? You're going back to life as usual. What are we yeah, doing? I'm not saying that the, the you know I'm not saying that social media is a bad thing. You know, post your pictures. That's that's all great. But I just I think it's just people. Oh, they go out there only for that reason to show that they were there. You know, and I just think that that's that's the wrong reason. So the time that I've that this has frustrated me is when I've been at these at meetings where we're actually discussing some of these issues and where there are folks who will come in and they're all they're all ages. It's all the young people, but not just young people. They'll come in and they'll wait for that microphone and they'll ask like a controversial question and get the picture and then just leave. Sometimes leaving before they even get the answer from whoever these these people are. And it's like, again, people have to understand that you have to follow through with these things. They take a lot of time. They take a lot of effort, a lot of energy going as we're all complaining about voting all the time every county has a board of election meeting with the elections office every month and they've been virtual in every county since this thing began if you don't know how to send an email and say hey i want to sign up and submit a comment and just watch watch the damn meeting listen to the excuses they're making up challenge them on those questions if, if you're not going to be a part of what those solutions are and, and mind you activists are on those calls as well so organizations that are that are in the middle of lawsuits right now with these election officials um, about the, the corruption and stuff that they've seen. If you're not submitting uh, your voter, um, like voter fraud or, or voter intimidation reports to like the ACLU, for example, who collects this information all the time. Um, if you're a Democrat, I know the Georgia Democrats do, I'm sure the GOP has something similar. If you're not reporting it and if you're not like actively participating, then you, you, can't, you can't complain. I don't think 
again, if there's anything wrong with protesting, I just, I believe in that because quite frankly, change happens with money and attention. I think those are the two drivers of change, period, money and attention. So I, it's important. However, there's a whole process and there's a level of education that you have to be willing to commit to. And there's groups out there, a lot of groups. I discourage people, quite frankly, from starting things that are brand new if there's already something out there that you can join. Now, if you can't for whatever reason, if there's, if there's barriers, if they're just not doing what you really, really want to do, fine. But a lot of times that's already there and they need you. They need more people. They need more infrastructure. There's groups that go out and do education to schools, to churches about like, listen, these are the people on this ballot. These are the ones who have been responsible for ABCDE. And these are the ones that vote how you want, but if you care about these issues, they've been bad on them. Like, like they can't tell you who to vote for, but they will, they will give you everything you need to know so you, you can walk in there with some ammo, with some, some information, even if you don't have the time to do it all yourself. But these groups need more people. So if you care about it, you could be a person to help to do that, to help to educate people and let them know that these two people running for sheriff, well, this is one of them's record, or these two people running for sheriff, this is what one of them said, like literally on social media, like last month. And how do you think he's going to treat you when he's sheriff? So the information is there, but I, I recommend people do it. Vote 411, vote 411, vote411.org is the easiest site that you'll find that I've seen where you can figure out the people that are going to be on your ballot before you go and, and see your ballot. You can figure out, they update it real time. I've been checking to see how, how frequently they update it. They update it. And I like it because they explain to you what each office does. So they'll tell you what the sheriff does. They'll tell you what this judge does. They'll tell you what, you know, what the mayor is really responsible for and what they aren't. A lot of times when we go to these like uh, town halls and have these protests, we're yelling at the wrong people. We're yelling at people who can only do so much, or we're yelling at people who are the face of the institution, but can't necessarily change it. You know what I mean? Like uh, at the end of the day, everyone's responsible or reporting up to somebody else. So if you're, like for example, the police chief gets gets fired, fine. You know, that, that's what happened in, uh, in Atlanta, Erica Shields was, was let go. And I'm not saying that she had a, had a very important job, but policing, police departments that set their own agendas are still liable to the mayor. They're responsible for the mayor. We have state laws that can govern what police can do. And then we have federal laws that govern what police can do. And we have a Supreme Court that has given a lot of precedent, a lot of power to police. So there's, there are lots of people responsible. Very rarely is there just like one big bad whoever. So anyway, I, I just, I hate to preach about it, but it's a big issue, obviously. And so there, there's a lot to be done. <laughs> And so you just want to do a lot, you know, you just, you have to kind of, you know, commit basically. All right. So we're going to shift it to good old Kyle and we're going to start our, uh, our conversation slash, I don't like the word rambling, but we'll say our kind of dialogue part, but we can, we can pick a topic and, and you put it on the table and you talk about it and we just kind of chime in. So Kyle, you get to start. So what, what is, what is, what do you want to talk so, about today? Um, what do you want to get into? I definitely wanted to present this to you two because especially Ricardo, he was very, very excited last week about it. Um, I wanted to bring up verses, but also I also wanted to talk about uh, what verses we might want to see in the future. Because me personally, I, like I was telling my mom because she was also excited about it. And I had a couple of friends who were my age that were pretty excited about it, but I don't know their music that way. So I watched okay. like maybe 15 minutes of it and I was just kind of like, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I want to know what your take on it was, and and also I want to know who you might want to see in the future because I have a list of versus battles that I might be more engaged with. And who do you think? Okay, so <laughs> here's the here's the thing. Um, like I watched versus, I think I watched the one with Snoop Dogg and, and DMX, which was cute. Um, I think I watched. I haven't watched very many of them. Uh, Jill Scott and Erica Badu. Um. I think about, that Monica and what about Kirk Franklin? Sorry, what about Kirk Franklin? Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Kirk Franklin and um, Fred Hammond. Was it Fred Hammond or John Fiki? Okay, I kind of watched that one. Um, I think that Monica and Brandy solidified not only the power of verses, but what they really can do. Uh, I'm from the era when both of them came out. Um, so I, for me, it was a big deal because, you know, these girls pretty much almost came out at the same time, but even when they came out, they were two different artists. They both looked young. They were both pretty women, but they both done distinctive things in their own right that really makes them different. 
the reason I think versus for those two was so big was because it really created that platform really brought those two young ladies back together. And those two were trailblazers for my generation as it pertains to young artists making a name for themselves and doing some great things. Um, so it was the first time I literally sat there for three hours and watched those girls go back and forth. I did. And I don't normally do that. Like, I'm, normally I'm in and out. I was like, with Jill Scott and Erica, I was like, okay, y'all just playing music. With those girls, there was actually history to those songs. Mm-hmm. They had memories from those songs. And it was amazing for us because a lot of that stuff, we just heard the music. We didn't know the backstory on a lot of how that music was made. So I think that's what was significant about Brandy and Monica. Because when they shared those stories, you, there was one time where Brandy was like, well, Monica, did you know that my, the beginning of this song was me and my dad? And I, Monica did an interview at B103, like yesterday or the day afterwards, and she was saying that meant a lot to her because out of Brandy's camp, Brandy's father was the one that was always closer to her, and he said something to her in a moment that she has treasured for a lifetime. So I think that's what made the big deal. I saw a post that said, if you would have brought the idea of doing this with Brandy and Monica, big companies, big media companies would have passed on it and said they don't have enough clout to carry that many people. And the post was saying that is the importance of knowing what you do and understanding that sometimes you have to create your own table to do something. Because those girls, I watched that meter. Those girls held 1.2 million people's mm-hmm. attention for three hours. Mm-hmm. For three, I watched that thing. The lowest it went was a million. Even when they took a break and came back, I was yep. like, oh, that might be it. 1.2 million people came back to mm-hmm. watch the remaining hours. It was powerful. Mm-hmm. It was a moment. Now, moving forward, who I would want to see, I honestly don't know if anybody has that level of impact to captivate people for that long. I don't know. Like I said, there was so much more to it than just the music. Those girls signify something for the culture, especially for my generation, that we were willing to be captivated for that long. I don't know if anybody else could do that. Now, I did see one for Mary J. Blige versus Faith. That I would watch because I honestly had said some, we need to find somebody that can go with Faith. Because Faith Evans, I would love to hear the story about a lot of those albums because I know Biggie Small, Little Kim, and all of them would be mixed into it, which would make it really interesting. I think that with Mary J. Blige, they have the catalog that can go toe-to-toe, and I also think they have the story that can go toe-to-toe, because we all know that Mary J. Blige writes from a place of whatever she's going through, whether that be husband, uh, hers would tie in Casey and JoJo, especially Casey, because they were dating. I think they both have stories that would captivate people for an extended period of time. I don't know if it would be a million people, but I think they can get us a good number. But that's what I think. Simone, what, what you think? What you got? I found it to be very captivating. So I watched the whole thing as well, and I don't stay up late. So it was a big deal to me. Um, <laughs> I grew up with both of them, probably not as close. I mean, I was young. I was a baby. But to me, that, that's just real R&B music. And so I really had an open mind, I think. Um, I told you I'd listen to Brandy's like most recent album before the verses and I, 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 I wasn't bowled over per se. So, but I'm glad, but I, so here's the thing. There's been so much, Wait, I wasn't, there's been so much tension between the two of them for so long. And I, I thought it was all BS for a long time. I really did. Or I hope that it was, but every time I've seen them appear together, it, it's like oil and water, you know, they have very different personalities. And, and I think it was explained really well once when they said, you know, Monica's from, you know, she's, from, she's from the A and she, she, she'll call it art. Call it art. Right. Um, and Brandy's not, you know, and, and I think that between the, the punching incident and between the, the animosity that's happened between them, I just kind of feel like even as grown women, there's just still just this underlying tension. Like there, there was a moment in the verses where Brandy was trying to make a joke and trying to just make, trying to be light, you know, but being, but you know, she was trying to make a joke and I felt like it wasn't a joke to Monica. And I feel like ever since that moment, it was just kind of downhill. Um, I wish, I wish I could play it. Maybe we could put the link in like the YouTube description because it was like this, this exact moment where 
everything just sort of went downhill from there. And it was like, Brandy thought we were gonna like sing along together. And Monica was like, I'm not in a group. But she said, no, 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 quote, we ain't a group. Um, and there was just all these little shady moments, all these little shady moments that I feel like, damn. Monica said, when I watched the interview with B103, and I'm assuming the guy that interviewed her knows her. So Monica was saying, everybody kept trying to find stuff, but she was like, if you, and I've spent a little time around Monica because I did her birthday party for one of her sons when I was an uh, event person at Andretti. So I spent a little time around her. I think versus, if you, if you really paid attention and you really listened to their music, I think Versus really showed you these two women, these two ladies are two different people. Brandy, and they were groomed for two different places in history. Brandy is the girl who was cultivated by uh, her mom, Sonia, who we saw when they did a reality show, Sonia Don't Play. Um, her dad gave her vocal lessons. Brandy was groomed for something different. TV, uh, baby dolls, being the first black Cinderella. She was groomed for something different. Monica, and she kind of alluded to it. Monica, you know, was kind of in a trial and everything. She talked about when she did Miss Fang and how she was given, I think, Dallas' attitude about what she was and wasn't going to do. Um, and even after about Monica's third album, you see Monica shift to something completely different. There were songs that Monica played that I was like, I have never heard this song, and I don't want to hear this song. Like, this is real for, my, for me. I was like, this is a little ratchet for me. It's cool, though, because Monica became, Monica became a hip-hop girl and she started rolling in those circles. Even the new single she dropped, I was like, this is some hood stuff right here. But it's, 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 she's from College Park. She's from College Park. And she's that girl. And most of that know Monica be like, yeah, Monica, look, she's from College Park. She, she can be that girl. Gorgeous. But they're two different artists. And I think that's what the verses should have shown people. You can't put them in the same box. They're not the same person. They're two sides of a very instrumental coin that should be appreciated in that regard. And that's just what it is. Uh, yeah, okay, I, enjoy I, mean, I feel that. I mean, I really think it's a time of healing. I, I was hoping, again, that they would just kind of use this as an opportunity to just really close all doors. And, and I think they did. I just think they just have different personalities, but I, I, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I hate to see the competition between two. I, I will say that I believe that Monica won the versus battle. That's what oh, I was saying. Oh, man, we're not doing that. No, no, no. We're not doing that. I'm sorry. I love Monica. When I say love, Monica is so gorgeous to me. Even that night, she looked flawless. But when it comes to music, I'm sorry. If you go through my media player, you're going to find a butt ton of Brandy because Brandy music just and like I said, for Monica, after about her third album, I was kind of in and out with her music because it just took a turn. With Brandy, Brandy has always stayed consistent, being a R and B artist. That's who she is. I feel like Monica kind of got into being more of a R and B hip hop type artist. Brandy has stayed true to R and B from the get. There were songs that that Brandy played. I'm sorry, Monica. None of Monica's songs could go up again. She did good, but there were just certain songs that Brandy had that we were just like, no, that's it. I'm sorry, she took that round. That's just it. You can't compete with it. I, you know, but again, that you create music based off experiences. Monica has been married, what, three times, two or three times? She has three kids. So her experiences are significantly different than Brandy's. Brandy, you know, has one child. She has a, a different family dynamic. Her experiences are different. And it's reflective in their music. So you know, I just can relate to a lot of stuff Brandy be saying about versus some of the stuff Monica be allowing rappers and stuff to get on her track. It's just different for me. I relate more to Brandy. So I personally thought Brandy was that chance. I don't think there should be a winner. And I think we need to stop doing that. I think versus is for the culture. And I think that this particular versus showed the power of this platform where you can get two artists to sit side by side talk about their music, play their music, and everybody wins. I don't think we need to get caught up in just because it's called Versus that that's what it is. Honestly, they might have to think about renaming that because I think it creates an atmosphere that we don't want to create where people feel like there has to be a winner and we spend another week going back and forth about who we think wins. I don't want us to get caught up in that. It was an opportunity. They used it. It was amazing. Every team, if you team Brandy, you're going to claim she won. If you team Monica, you're going to think she won. 
but so that, but, so that's, not, but that's why I'm saying what I'm saying is because I'm not a Monica fan. I'm not a Monica fan. I don't I don't appreciate Monica's voice nearly as much. And I've never been a fan of, of her music really. But when you just put the hits back to back to back to back to back, I just felt like Brandy had like a handful, a handful. And Monica just had a whole consistent catalog. She just did. I just really liked her whole catalog. Like she had a, a mix of R&B ballads versus just regular R&B songs versus up-tempo songs that you could dance to. And Brandy's songs that are up-tempo, like R&B is not just one thing. It's got a little tint. It's got a little tint. There are R&B ballads, like I Will Always Love You. And then there are R&B hits you can groove to, like like Pony by Genuine. Like there can't just be one. And I just feel like, I just feel like there was no, a more you this, and I, I'm asking both y'all this. In our current climate, who do you think is an authentic R&B artist in the current climate with the new talent? Who's an R&B artist to you? In the in in the world we're living in now, not based off of what we know R&B, what it used to be, just like what we accept it as to be now. I, I wanted. I'm asking you because I want. I want a distinction on who you deem is an R&B artist current time. And the new generation of new artists that are out, especially you, Kyle, in your timing, who do you who do you call an R&B artist? Uh, for a male, I give it to Chris, Chris Brown. Uh, for feet, Chris Brown. For female, I, there there are a lot. Really? There are a lot. There there are a lot. There are a lot. There, there are some good ones, and then there are some ones who are like, okay, I like, you know, you, you know, I don't know. I really like Janae Aiko. I do. Janae Aiko, she's consistent. I like Janae Aiko. <laughs> you call, you call Diddy Akio an uh, R&B artist. That's new name name a yes. song name a song of name a song of Janae's that is not R and B and prove me wrong because I I can't think of a song of hers that's not R and B she it's R and B music can she sing that's another question but it's R and B music she has a nice voice I don't call like, the what she produces I, I, is is R and B so now like name a song that's not R and B that she's done because I don't think she's deviated I don't think she's like the other right. artists that have like dabbled I don't think she's ever even dabbled outside of R and B give me somebody else I I didn't expect y'all to say that give me somebody else. I mean, well, give me somebody else. Was, my answer would have been before now, like maybe last mm -hmm. generation, but not quite Monica Brandy. In between, I would have said Sierra was an R and B artist, and then I mean, now yeah. or before or Jasmine Sullivan, and now I would mm -hmm. say, um, now I would say her or yeah, thank you. Or Ari Lennox. That or Ari Lennox. Or um, who's the other one? Kyle, oh, you're fired. Or Kaylani's an R&B artist. Kaylani is an original R&B artist. But Chris mm -hmm. Brown, yeah. Kaylani is an R&B artist. And, and name a song that she that's not R&B. <laughs> but it's all R&B. There's a very, very thin line for me for an R&B artist versus a R&B-ish pop artist. Some of the people y'all are naming, when I think of R&B artists, I think there's a specific genre, a specific sound that doesn't always translate to pop or mainstream. So when I think of R&B artists of today, I think about a Lettucey. Lettucey music sometimes crosses into mainstream, but she has an R&B sound that it just resonates in an R&B community that yeah. doesn't necessarily stream over into pop. A lot of the artists y'all named, to me, they're more pop artists. They're, they have R&B-ish music and elements, but I don't consider them an R&B artist. Her is an R&B artist. SZA, I don't think they're on the same level, but they're they're R&B-ish. Well, no, she can't. I, I, well, that's, that's, a that's, that's a whole other question. That's a whole other question. But I mean, like, going back, Janae's, Janae's music doesn't play on pop radio. Janae's music is strictly played on R&B uh, music stations. Now, if you want to talk, you know, crossover voices, that's when you start naming the Sierras, the Beyonce's, and the Rihanna's, which is why I didn't even name them. Yeah. So, I hear you. yeah, they're not R&B to me. Yeah. They're not R&B. But at the same time, you're, I think, Ricardo, you don't always understand the difference between R&B and neo-soul, which is a whole nother subgenre. Like, you got to make sure that you're not saying because somebody pops that they're no longer R&B. That's not necessarily true. If they don't change, then they still they still count, and it's like neo soul is is a whole other category. It's its own little bucket. It's not. I don't. I'm not a neo soul fan, but I am an R and B fan. But I don't. I don't appreciate neo soul. It doesn't have enough bump for me. I don't. I don't really know. Like 
in the beginning, I feel like uh, Jill Scott kind of created that neo-soul space to me. And then over the years, Jill Scott has kind of transitioned into something else. I don't even really know. And I'll be honest, I don't even know how you distinguish neo-soul from R&B at this point. Like, I don't. I don't really know I mean, who fits into I think it's dying. I think it's thing. dying. And I think, I think honestly, I think they're both dying. But I think R&B is, is having a comeback is what I think. But I think a lot of them are, I mean, they're both shrinking genres, in my opinion. Just like funk and soul. Like, who's a current funk and soul artist? So, like, I, I mean, mm. there are funk and soul songs, but very few artists, that, that's just what they do. So I think it's, it may have a comeback, too. But I, I do think it's dying. Um, well, I, I think that, I think that for the longest, they were trying to distinguish hip hop music from R&B music. And I, and I don't think you can really separate them per se, because if you tip into one, it's okay. Um, and I think now that's what, and I, when I think about Monica, that's kind of what I think about. To me, Monica is like an R&B mixed in with hip hop. That's what she became. Brandy just stayed R&B. I, I don't know, I, I, I feel like, I agree with you. I think that uh, R&B music, thanks to artists like Daniel Caesar, her, um, Jasmine Sullivan, I think that R&B music has a revive uh, that I think has come back really strong because those kids are really, like, they, they make it. Uh, shout out to Lettucey because her new album, Wild Card, I brought that thing a week ago and I have not stopped listening to it every day because it's absolutely amazing. It is R&B at its finest. Um, but I also say the same thing about her. Every album her has made is R&B at its finest, even when she adds hip-hop elements at its core. She's an art, R&B artist. Um, so yeah, that's it. But Kyle, my question to you is the other half. So what were some battles that you had that you would want to see? For I really, really, I really, really want to see Usher versus Chris Brown. I really do. I think that'd be great. That would be good. I think that'd be great. I mean, of course, yeah. it's not going to happen. I also, I would also like to see, I would also like to see Rihanna versus Beyonce. That'll never happen. So I can dream. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I don't see that, but that I, I see what you're saying, though. I see what you're getting at. Yes. Yeah. Well, but my question. Chris Brown and Usher well, Cannon definitely will happen. But what would make you want to watch? Let's say Chris Brown and Usher go for three hours. What would make you want to watch them for three hours outside of just playing hit for hit? Well, they definitely don't have any beef. I feel like a lot. Of, can I be honest? I feel like a lot of people watch that to be messy and to watch the body language and just you know the music was one thing, but people were definitely reading, you know, and, and reaching for what possibly might be a problem you know i disagree i think that's what kept a lot of people <laughs> i'm I, just saying I, I disagree because i i was thinking the whole time like i i love and i love that they but i was disappointed that they didn't perform it like i miss i miss like, i don't know if i want a versus that's just like a vibe i kind of think i don't i don't know i don't, I don't really like that i don't really like that my biggest thing was their teams didn't coordinate at all and it was very obvious their teams did not coordinate they did not have a game plan going in there of like okay this is how we can defuse like they didn't have a game plan at all so i don't know i think it looks like that and i'm sure people are going to reach i was trying not to see anything i was trying i i never but i mean when she straight up asked monica straight up said like there was a time i was very confrontational or whatever and brandy's like oh yeah i know and so, so that that's not a real like you 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 basically and Monica yeah. was just like, I just said that I, I never did that to you. And she was just like, oh girl, I'm just kidding. I'm just working on my comedy. Like, nah, I'm. Yeah. They threw the tension in the air. They picked it up and they threw it in the air. So it was like you could not catch they, it. You know, I could ignore it. But. They went for three hours and they haven't been in the same room in eight years. Like, I, I mean, come on, people, it's going to be. That's what I'm saying. And they're like, I'm I mean, you can't, there's not, we don't know how long, look, we don't know how well the teams get along because apparently Ray J was there. So I'm assuming if Ray J was there, Sonya and uh, Ray Senior were probably there on Monica's side. I think she said her brother was there and some other folks. I mean, I wouldn't expect for them to do. People were saying that they were disappointed that there was no performances, but that's not what Versus is built on. Nobody really performs, but I think they leave room to grow. I mean, Versus is still new. So maybe moving forward, they will, you know, make space to perform and stuff. It's just a principle. You know, the, the ideology that two young women were able to captivate an audience based off music for, well, be able to captivate 1.2 million people with just music and some stories for three hours says something about the culture and says something about people, what people want, especially our, our community, what we want, 
what we want to see and what we're willing to watch on TV. And I think if we don't take nothing away from that, that should be the takeaway. We're clearly not giving us what we want to see because we keep saying it's hard to keep our attention. It's really not because we, from a versus battle, and we're talking about real time, 1.2 million people, which I'm inclined to believe primarily us, were willing to ride it out for three hours. So to all the people from Netflix on the beat, particularly, particularly BET, they tell, we're telling you, you're not giving us what we want. You're not giving us what we want to see because we were able to, to watch, we watched it with just music for three hours and stayed with it for three hours. It should be a lesson to the people that are supposed to be entertaining us and educating us. We need to shift what we think we want to see. That's what I, that's my takeaway from it. We need to shift what we think we want to see. The perfect versus battle. It has great music, um, two very real, well-respected artists, and they have beef that they need to squash. Jay-Z and Kanye West, I, I would love to see that. That would be, that would oh, get no, probably more than one. Is, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. They have some things that they need to agree. talk out. Why? You're not going to get, Kanye West talks a lot more than Jay-Z does. So I don't see that even in the world. I world, think that Jay-Z has plenty out. to say. I think he had plenty to say in that situation. If you get Jay-Z to sit down. He ain't going to say it. Not in no verse. No, because you might, you might have to pay him. Everybody else has been doing this for free. You might have to pay him. <laughs> I, I just think when you, get to, when you get into Jay Z and Beyonce, two people who know how to control their narrative, you're not going to get them to sit on the stage, especially Jay Z, with Kanye, where Kanye has nothing to lose and is extremely reckless, and expect them to really hash it out and talk. Yeah, I don't see that happening. Jay Z's not. He's going to think the whole time. He's going to be thinking about his brand. There's going to be a list of stuff he's not going to get into. It's just like when Monica brought up, um, everybody kept saying, well, Brandy, you know, do the Moesha thing, you know, and Brandy started to do it. Monica tried to get her to do it, and Brandy was like, no, nah, I can't do that because, and she whispered something to Monica, which I believe was liability and stuff as a potential right for the Moesha thing. So Jay-Z going to be doing that the whole time. He was like, no, nah, I can't get into that because of my brand. No, nah, I can't get that because I don't see them, I don't see it flowing like that with them too. Kanye will get a man and say whatever he's going to say because he ain't got nothing to lose. Jay-Z controls that. It would be incredibly that. It ain't going to be that. Is the point. Like, it would, it would break, I think, the 1.2 million, I think, is the idea. For like, sure. That would be a very successful For sure. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not asking them to have a, I'm not asking them to have, you know, their come to Jesus moment on live. I'm asking them to fix it behind the scenes even and just come together and play their track. That's all I want. People need to see them back together. And I, would I, don't, like, know. I, um, I don't know if you people to ride that out the same way for three hours. Now, people will come in initially. I don't think they'll ride it out for three hours. I just don't. I don't what think those talking, two. Ricardo, I'm sorry, but that is the most nonsensical thing <laughs> you've ever said. In the two years, three in the two years I've been doing this show, that is the, the biggest false news you've ever uh, said. That is just wrong. I don't think. I think people will come in and they will get probably I know. six months people to come in and break a record. But to ride it they out, will, for, they will for not only ride it out, they will be on YouTube streaming live, watching reaction videos that will have millions of views by themselves. It will, it will, do you, I mean, these are some, you these are some of the biggest artists on the face of the planet. So it's not, a, it's really not even a question. It's not a question. Do you understand the history that Jay Z and Kanye have? I do and don't. So I will digress. Well, I, I just don't know if people <laughs> So y'all tell us that both of y'all would ride out three hours with them too. That's I mean, I'm not gonna stick glue to my phone. I would ride out 12 I mean, like... hours and call in from work. <laughs> and I would work. not be alone what? in that regard at all. I, so, Kyle, you would ride it out for three hours. It would definitely be playing in the background, but I'm listening and I'm watching, and I the view, my view would never leave until they end it. I don't think that's gonna happen, but um, it's not. you know, I. I I don't I think that's going to happen, but... There be... oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but I also believe that people who probably were not willing to do verses because it's probably not paid or because it hadn't gotten big enough, I think that Monica and Brandy has turned the tide because although it was free, when you look at what happened afterwards, the fact that those girls' music shot back up the charts, 
and made old, irrele- I won't say irrelevant, but made older music relevant again, I think now artists not only will be knocking down the door to do it, but I think people who probably will be like, nah, I'm good, will do it. What I actually hope will happen is they will use it, it'll create spinoffs. And they may create sub-departments where they may say, hey, we're doing a old school versus where they bring uh, artists like Patti LaBelle versus, uh, I don't know, somebody else and give them the opportunity for a younger generation to really hear their music and give them that opportunity to, for their music to come back in and bring a whole new generation, make a whole new generation hip to their music. Because a lot of times, these y'all generation, particularly, your generation has sampled a lot of that old school music and people don't know where it was sampled from. And I, I feel like that would be lovely for them to create a spinoff that kind of creates that platform, even if it's called sample, sample Versus, where people who've been sampled get to come on and really show, okay, well, you know, you know this song from Kanye West, but this is actually my song, here's the actual original, and they're going up against their peers. I think it's an opportunity that we didn't see until we saw this particular battle that they could do, that I think can carve out a nice place in history if they do it right. It's an opportunity. For sure. So, yeah, but I'm, I'm not, you know. I, I would vote for I was a, kind of t- we, well, we're almost out of time. Yeah, but what was you about to say? I was just gonna say my two votes would be for a Trey Songs and a Neo battle. I, I want them to redo the Ludacris battle because the Wi-Fi was so terrible, I couldn't even enjoy it. And I love Ludacris's catalog and I really couldn't even enjoy it. It was just, it was too childish. Well, he did one? He did one with Nelly, Lula and Nelly, and I would love to, to have them redo it and shoot it right because it was just so choppy and it was bad. So I would like to see that I redone. I would not mind. Uh, uh, what was your suggestion, Kyle Usher and somebody? I wouldn't uh, mind that. Right. But I, I think Trey and Neil would be good. I think Alicia Keys and John Legend would be good. And I think, um, and obviously, I, and I would like to see a Cardi and Nikki too, but it's just not going to happen. But I would love to see yeah. that. Maybe Nikki and Kim. No. Nikki and Kim? No. <laughs> if you're going to put Little Kim in something, it's got to be Little Kim and Foxy Brown. Now, honestly, that one, doing a Little Kim and Foxy Brown would have the same effect that Monica and Brandy did because, again, that's my generation. And in my generation, Foxy Brown and Little Kim were Monica and Brandy on the hip-hop rap side. So if they were to do mm. Little Kim and Foxy Brown, they would get the same number. I, I would put money on it. They would get the same numbers because those two were the opposite in, in rap in my day. We would tune in for that battle. So to versus, do Foxy Brown and Little Kim, you would get the same numbers. So they hold the same spot in my generation. And we would watch them. But Alicia Keys and John Legend, nah. No. I would love it. I would watch it. I would watch it for sure. They have to Especially do that during the day. During the day? Because at, at night, I'm going to go to sleep. I would want to see it. And, and I could also, I can't think of anybody who she would be opposite. I was thinking about this with T.I. because I would love for T.I. to do it, but I don't know who was opposite would be. I don't know who else I, I would want to would do against. against T.I. But I would love for his catalog to come out. And his, his last album, I love his last album. So I feel like, but I can't think of anybody else he would go with. I, I really can't think like, of anybody for Alicia, but John Legend's the only person I can think of. Yeah, but I don't, John Legend's catalog is not as extensive to me as Alicia Keys. I remember when Alicia Keys came out in like the early 90s. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's not, John Legend's like 2000. No, she came out in the late I, 90s. I don't think, she came out in 99 or 2000. Songs in A Minor sure? was, a, songs and, songs was, and so cool. was the late 90s. But either way, a long catalog don't necessarily mean it's a catalog people have heard of or that it's, it's comparable. I think in terms of like the number of hits, it may be much closer than you think. Especially her last one. I don't one. know. I don't, I don't. I her last one. I, I don't know. Uh, John Legend, I like him, but he's not my favorite person. I like his music. He's cool, but I don't know. Alicia, I, I've kind of strayed away from Alicia, but out of the gate, Alicia Keys is the GOAT when it comes to what she did when she first came out, probably about two albums, three albums in, and then kind of after that, I was kind of like, okay, well, I don't really know what she's doing now. That's why, to um, me, they're kind of on the but, same level at this point, for me. I just wanted to give me, give me Foxy and Lil' Kim, give me, uh, Mary J and uh, Faith Evans, and I'll go along with Chris Brown and Usher. The problem with Chris Brown and Usher is don't do them until you're willing to let them perform because those boys are performing. So don't do them until y'all get to a place where they can actually perform. 
because that's where you'll get the most enjoyment out of them too. Because I would like to see them two go head to head in a street dance, mm. a street dance off. I'll be in the room pop yeah. locking and trying to you know, spin around and stuff. Like that, that's what I get from them. Lord. So, yeah. I'm open to that. All right. So I won't, I won't take us any further. Kyle, you did what you were supposed to do. So that, that was a good one. Um, so, all right. Uh, next week, in the next two weeks, we will be going back to the studio, which Kyle has already seen. We will be going back it's to the studio. Awesome. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Really, Simone? It's going to be fun. I want to go I mean, if you want to come on a Monday to see it, fine. When we're in there shooting and stuff, fine. Um, that's how he saw it because he was with the TV team, so I showed him when he was in there. Um, like I said, the new studio is fire. Shouts out to the plug ATL, uh, Charlene and Khalid. They've been amazing. Uh, I love it. It's great. If you're looking for a studio and you're not looking to spend a lot of money, but you want to be in a, in a, a lovely, nice, upscale space, definitely look them up. Y'all know I don't, I don't plug people very often, but for them, definitely Black-owned, Black excellence. I love it. It's amazing. Um, so, yeah, two weeks. I'll definitely let everybody know to be on the fly. We're returning to the studio. Simone, you're going to love it. It's going to be amazing. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it as well. So I'll let everybody know about that. Outside of that, we will see everybody next Friday, same time, same place, on the Leadership Blend with your host, Ricardo D. White.